0: I don't know about you, but uh, the idea of uh, hidden treasure is intriguing, and it has intrigued millions of people, in fact, the world over. I did a little searching around this uh, week and found uh, treasure hunters who have formed entire uh, subcultures with group trips and websites and clues regarding famous sites where buried treasure has yet to be discovered. Somewhere, according to one of these stories, up on a mountain ledge overhanging the city of Flagstaff, Arizona, is a buried loot of uh, treasure still waiting to be discovered. Evidently, in 1881, uh, what amounts to about a million dollars in today's economy was stolen when a stagecoach was traveling west to California. Uh, Four canvas mailbags had been stowed. Uh, on this uh, coach. And uh, at one particular point, in fact, when it reached Flagstaff, it was immediately surrounded by five masked bandits who stopped the coach, and in country-western kind of movie style, you know, they had everybody get out at gunpoint, and they took those four bags, loaded them up on horses, and galloped away. Uh, It wasn't long before a posse was formed, and And uh, these men were tracked down to a log cabin. Uh, The cabin was surrounded, and uh, a blazing gunfight ensued. All of the outlaws were killed. And uh, the deputies went inside the log cabin, and to their amazement, did not find the bags, evidently, that had been buried in root. So the entire area was searched. The government of the United States even got involved, sending troops. They dug everywhere without discovering anything and finally gave up the search. But not the property owner. The man who owned the cabin would spend the rest of his life, 30 years, digging around trying to find the loot. And he never did find it. I read of a recent discovery in the, the, the Middle Eastern town of Eshtemoa. Discovered by an actual homeowner, the discovery was 62 pounds of of exquisite silver uh, jewelry. It had been stored in earthen jars and buried worth tens of thousands of dollars, in fact much more because of its antiquity. Uh, It was discovered, buried not in in some tomb, it it wasn't uh, discovered uh, in some sand pit, it was literally discovered 18 inches underneath the floor of a homestead that had been lived in for 1,500 years. One home after another had been built on this site. Roughly 18 inches underneath what was the living room floor, this cachet was discovered. You can only imagine what all of the previous homeowners must have thought. If I had only known, I would have dug through my, my living room floor and discovered. Imagine living so close to treasure. Here's something else to imagine. Uh, Robert Jeffress asked That's in his uh, little book on some of the Proverbs that sort of intrigued me, and so I made up my own little story. Imagine you've purchased a, an old fixer-upper in uh, downtown Raleigh, uh, one of those historic sections in, of town. And, and one Saturday morning, you're cleaning out the attic, and you're up in the attic there, and you discover an old sheet of paper Yellowed and brittle with age tacked to one of the beams of the ceiling in the corner in the back of the attic. You carefully take it down and you open it, but as you fold it open it falls apart, but you catch faded words that that say buried treasure. You know what you'd do? You'd rush downstairs to the kitchen counter and you you put the pieces of this note together and you get out your magnifying glass and you read the note that says this. For some time now, my grown children have given me the impression that they want their inheritance and not me. Furthermore, I have come to the conclusion that my vast wealth "...would only deepen their greed for things and ultimately ruin their lives. Therefore, I have decided to bury my wealth for the future owner of this humble home. You will find a little more than one million dollars in cash, savings bonds, and gold coins buried in a small safe in the backyard. Locate the exact middle point of the back property line, walk three paces toward the house, and you will find buried three feet down the safe... I hope you enjoy your inheritance, yours truly. What would you do after reading that note? Play a game of Monopoly with your kids? Toss it aside and say, can you believe somebody would think I'd fall for that? Give it to your neighbor and say, I have no time for this kind of stuff. You go out there and dig whatever you find you can have. No. You would rush for your property map, grab a tape measure, and race. The backyard. You never know. You just might discover hidden treasure. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, as as useful as a million dollars would be to us, I'm, i could pay off my pet smart bills if I could just get that much money. <laughs> I mean, as, as real, as exciting as getting, you know, discovering silver jewelry. You know, or, or or stumbling across the loot in Flagstaff, Arizona, nothing, nothing will change our lives more. In fact, determine life for us than finding hidden treasure that's offered to us from God Himself and our gracious Father has left us a note. In fact, He's left us a collection of clues and signposts and guidelines along the way to lead us to those occasions in life where we, we discover and we can possess and we can apply the hidden treasure of wisdom. Solomon told us, you must search for wisdom as for hidden treasure. He writes further, "'How blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for he understands that her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her.'" You want real treasure? Dig for wisdom ransack the map of Scripture to find where it is, how it acts, what it looks like, how it's demonstrated, and how to have it in your own life. It's one thing to to live rich. Nothing wrong with that. It's another thing to live right. It's one thing to make great investments. It's another thing to have great insight. This is the difference between, as you know, Someone who knows how to make a living and someone who knows how to make life, what? Worth living. And the difference is this thing called wisdom. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon invites us all effectively to become treasure hunters, seekers of wisdom. But you need to know up front, the hidden treasure of wisdom is not for the curious, It's for the serious. One author said it this way, and don't turn to Proverbs. I'm going to have you go somewhere else, okay? We're not even going to get to Proverbs yet. We're just introducing this thing, so settle down. (laughs) One author said it this way, straw floats on the surface of water, but the one who searches for pearls must dive below. Now, before we take our first dive, I know you're, you're ready. You're already there. But in order to appreciate the Proverbs you hold in your lap, the first thing we have to understand is the narrator's life. So I'm going to spend one session quickly here. If, in fact, what we need to do is travel back in time to Solomon's life at that moment when he uttered his first cry. Let's go back to the delivery room. So take your bibles and turn to the book of 2nd Samuel. 2nd Samuel. Where's that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 2nd Samuel, right? <laughs> no, for the younger believers here, let's say it together. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd. There you go. All right, turn to 2nd Samuel. As you're turning, it occurred to me that from the very moment of Solomon's birth, he was surrounded by drama, royal intrigue. In the 24 months before his birth, David, the king, has admitted to adultery and murder. of The young widow he had married to cover up the fact that the baby she was carrying wasn't her husband's child, but his. David had seen to it that Uriah, her husband, was killed in battle, you remember. And then he put on this sham wedding, you know, to Bathsheba, uh, who the wedding was already beginning to show. Insiders knew the real story, didn't they? And the prophet Nathan eventually uh, exposed the king and his new bride as evil conspirators who had kept terrible secrets. Their baby would be born and he would die. In this covenant, it would be a sign of God's immediate judgment on David and Bathsheba. Now the good news is David confessed his sin to God. In fact, Psalm chapter 51 is is his agonizing and authentic confession and repentance before God. It's a wonderful chapter. We have every reason to believe Bathsheba uh, repented as well. In fact, instead of their marital relationship fracturing because of guilt, uh, they stayed together. In fact, uh, she conceived again, and Bathsheba bore the heir to the throne of David. Let's pick up that drama at chapter 12 in 2 Samuel. Chapter 12, verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba went into her, lay with her, and she gave birth to a son. And he named him Solomon. Now Solomon actually has several names. They will appear, in some of them in the book of Proverbs, that create some confusion. Uh, this one here, delivered to him by David, is a wonderful name. It's a derivative of shalom. It means peace. David was trusting that Solomon would live a life that he never lived. David's life was anything but peaceful. And he is trusting God that that Shalom, Solomon, the one of peace, will experience peace and the kingdom along with him. The text tells us that the Lord actually gave Solomon a name. The last part of verse 24, Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. Jedediah simply means loved by the Lord. Many believe that this wise prophet who appears here will become the tutor to Solomon and lead him in understanding the words of of God. But can you imagine, it struck me as I reread this again, can you imagine growing up hearing that you had been given, let's say, your middle name by God and the meaning of that name means God loves me. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, you think, man, if only I had that kind of word, you know, from God. I'd have so few anxious feelings and discouraging times. I'd wake up in the morning, you know, rain or shine, rich or poor, sick or healthy, and simply remember, God gave me a name, and, and I'd just sail into my new day. Well, you and I have been given quite a few names Redeemed, Saint, Bride, Child. Just to remind you, by the way, the name Jedediah didn't make Solomon wake up every day automatically reveling in the grace and goodness and providence of God. He still fought the same. You know, battles of temptation and materialism and lust and greed and anger that every believer wages war against. In fact, Jedidiah will eventually resign from the fight in disobedience and disillusionment and despair. There's a name that appears, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but It appears in the book of Proverbs. It's the name Lemuel. The famous Proverbs chapter 31 begins with the words, this is what King Lemuel's mother taught him. Wonderful text. Lemuel simply means unto God. I would agree with the Old Testament scholars who believe that Lemuel was simply a name of dedication used by Solomon's own mother. A name she referred to with him, even into his older years. It was indeed a testimony that Bathsheba had dedicated Solomon, one of the, the ancient wisdom seekers, to God. This was her pet name for him. She didn't want Solomon to forget it. that She had indeed repented, and she was following after God. Additional evidence of this is seen in the fact that Solomon's Proverbs repeatedly challenge the reader to listen not only to the advice of our fathers, but to our whom? Mothers as well. Every mother ought to take heart from Proverbs. Uh, Every mother. You you are not left out. In fact, according to this book of wisdom, your instruction toward your Uh, your children is considered, it is given as much weight as the instruction of a father. Let me read a few of the Proverbs and listen to Solomon's words. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck, Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. The message paraphrases chapter 6, verses 20 to 21. Friend, follow your father's good advice. And don't wander away from your mother's teaching. Wrap yourself up in them from head to foot. Wear them like a scarf around your neck. Wherever you walk, they will guide you. Whenever you rest, they will guard you. When you wake up, they'll tell you what's next. For sound advice is a beacon. Good teaching is a light. Moral discipline is a life path. Take it from your father. Listen to your mother. So if you've ever felt guilty, mom, that you're always saying to your kids, listen to your mother. I mean, it's right there. You're quoting Scripture every time you say that. I just want to just throw that out there. What a wonderful implicit compliment, though, Solomon gave not only to his father, David, but to his mother, Bathsheba. They were parents. They were parents with a past. If there was a principle in this for us, it would be these. God's grace can be found at work in the present in spite of your past. Another, godly parenting can still take place in homes that have an ungodly past. Solomon would learn early on, as God prepares him to be a a wisdom seeker, hunter of this treasure, that the living God of David and Bathsheba forgives sin and gives new opportunities to follow after him. It was that spirit that Solomon picked up. The heart of Solomon is just about ready for the hunt. His spirit is ready for this quest for hidden treasure. One of the most fascinating reports of this encounter now between God and the newly crowned King Solomon is recorded in 2 Chronicles. Just turn right from 2 Samuel, move through First and 2 Kings, and you'll run into 1 Chronicles and then 2 Chronicles. It's the place you are least likely to have had your devotions recently. But what a magnificent Old Testament book. So, unstick the pages there, chapter 1, and look at verse 6. Solomon went up there before the Lord to the bronze altar, which was at the tent of meeting. This is in Gibeon. This is his first official act. This is a great celebration, and he, he offers, note this, a thousand burnt offerings on it. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and Said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Just stop. Make a wish, Solomon. Make a wish. You name it. Name it and it's it's yours. What would you like to have? Can you imagine? You say that's as likely as me finding a note in my attic and a safe out in the backyard. I know. But it happened to Solomon. This was no pipe dream. This was real. Make a wish, Solomon, and I will grant it for you. If you're like me, you'd be tempted to to do what we did when we were kids. You ever played that that game? Uh, You got a wish. What do you wish for? And you always say, I wish for three wishes. And then you'd respond with, okay, I'll give you three wishes, but the first two what? Don't. Don't count. So you got to make one good wish. Actually, in this text, there isn't any indication that Solomon is told he only has one. Just, Solomon, what do you want? Ask what I shall give you. And he responds in verse 8 Solomon said to God, You have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and have made me king in his, his place. Don't miss this. Solomon doesn't wish for anything at first. In fact, he responds in three ways. The first thing he does is give thanks for what he already has. If we were in Solomon's place, I think if if I were here, I would have rushed into my first wish, which would have revealed discontent, wouldn't it have? Don't get past this initial response, Solomon What do you wish for? Name it. And Solomon says, I just want to thank you for making my father king. The first words out of his mouth indicate contentment. Lord, I just want to thank you for what I already have. I remember reading the story of how an American oil company began work in another country. The people who worked for this company were relatively poor They didn't really know it until one day one of the workers happened to see a Sears mail order catalog in the company break room and thumbed through it. Then he asked if he could take it home. It wasn't long before all of the employees had their own catalogs and every family was eventually in debt and frustrated with their wages received from this company. They were better off when they did not know how much they did not have. Right? One author said it this way, contentment is realizing that you are better off the way you are right now. And as we head into this season, Christmas season, have you noticed how quickly it's come this year? I mean, I know we complain about that all the time, but they didn't even wait for Halloween to get over. Now, it's just right out there. I drove up here, and our Christmas lights are on the church. What in the world is going on around here? (laughs) I was reading USA Today, and uh, this past week, and there was a cartoon, and I thought it was classic. It was uh, at a a bar, and there was Santa Claus and uh, a woman, and the Thanksgiving turkey. And they're all, you know, kind of after this gal and the Thanksgiving turkey is looking up and he's looking at Santa Claus and he says, do you mind? (laughs) You get it? That's not even out of the way. Well, you know, my wife is in fact reading something recently and she said that they're, they're working on the assumption which is true that Christmas makes us feel better. And there's an assumption that there's going to be shopping involved. And so they started earlier to create the mood. Man, we're moving into that right now in the mission of Madison Avenue is to convince us all that, that we do not have the one thing that we need. We need something more, something new, something different, something better. Well, here's Solomon. On the other hand, because of his wisdom, listen to what he said. He said, two things I ask of you, Lord. This is in Proverbs 30. Two things. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me the food that is my portion. You could render it, give me just enough for the day. Otherwise, I might have too much and say, who needs the Lord? Isn't that true? What is amazing to me is that Solomon would say that after having been born, with a silver spoon in his mouth. He had developed balance and patience and significantly here he had developed gratitude. In the Middle Ages it was the custom for the godparents to, of a child to, to present it with a silver spoon at his christening. From that moment the child could be fed with this special spoon made of silver. However, children born to wealthy parents didn't have to wait to be fed with the finest of utensils for their christening. They were born, so to speak, with a silver spoon in their mouth. Thus the history of that phrase we use today to speak of the privileged few. This was Solomon. He would grow up to eat, in fact, from utensils only made of solid gold. He would have an incredible kingdom, and you might expect him, even as Second Chronicles opens, to be spoiled and ungrateful and want only more. No. Not only does Solomon first, in his response, give thanks for what he has, the second thing I want you to notice is that he gives credit to God for who he is. Look further at verse 9. Now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled, for you have made me king. Gratitude and humility are in the treasure chest where wisdom is kept. In fact, you can can know that you've found wisdom if you have with it a sense of gratitude and humility. First, Solomon gives thanks for what he has. Second, he gives credit to God for who he is. Now third, Solomon asks God for what he needs. Look at verse 10. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and, and come in before this people, for who can rule this great people of yours? The word translated there, great, could be rendered heavy. In other words, Lord, there isn't any way I can bear the burden of this kingdom, these people. I cannot carry the load of responsibility that has come with the crown. I need divine assistance. You ever prayed something like that? Lord, I I can't be the parent. I can't be the student. I, I can't be the child. I can't be the employer. I can't be the employee. I can't be the spouse without divine assistance. I need help. Solomon would have been thrilled to hear you say something like that. You might think, what? I'm saying that because I'm miserable. No. Wisdom only comes to those who admit they need it. And the first step in the treasure hunt for wisdom is admitting that you have a need for it. If anyone recognizes that they lack wisdom, they can ask of God for it, and He will deliver it to them, and He will not rebuke them for asking for wisdom over and over and over again. James 1:5. Lord, I do not know how to live insightfully, I do not know how to walk wisely. I cannot serve at this station in my life unless you give me wisdom. Remember, it's not for the curious. Wisdom is for the serious. This encounter between Solomon and our Lord is most instructive. In fact, the parallel account, we won't turn back for time in 1 Kings 3. They add the nuance, this is where Solomon asked God for an understanding heart, which adds an interesting thought to his one wish. What literally it means a hearing heart, that's what he means. An understanding heart means you have a heart that hears. What do our hearts hear? Let's ask it this way. What are they listening for? What is our hearts tuned to hear? We'll probably cover it in detail, but the book of Proverbs pictures wisdom calling out to those who walk by and most are uninterested and they walk on by. They, they really didn't hear Solomon said to the Lord, O Lord, give, give my heart the proper antennae. Tune my heart to hear from you. You've got to change the dial because I'm not picking up wisdom like I need to pick it up. And God granted his wish. Pastor Ed Young wrote in his commentary, covering much of Solomon's life. In fact, he entitled his book, Been There, Done That, Now What. In it, he told the story of um, two men walking together down a crowded sidewalk in Manhattan one afternoon. One of the men was a Native American Indian, and the other man was born and bred New Yorker. The noise was incredible, cars, buses, horns, sirens, people talking, Loudly as they moved all down the street uh, together, suddenly the Indian said to his friend, Listen, I hear a cricket. Do you hear it? The New Yorker was rather incredulous. He, he said, No way. You, you cannot hear, possibly hear, a cricket in Manhattan in rush hour. No, I'm serious. And to prove it, he walked a few paces, stopped, reached down and picked up a cricket in a crack in the sidewalk and showed it to his friend how in the world did you hear that the new york friend asked well, easy said his friend i've lived outdoors most of my life and i can hear a cricket over other noises because my ears are just trained to hear those sounds but it's really not that amazing or unusual In fact, watch this. And he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a quarter and he flipped it up in the air and let it hit the sidewalk. And as soon as it hit the sidewalk, everybody stopped and looked around. (laughs) Say, yeah, that's New York for you. No, 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 no. You try that sometime yourself downtown Raleigh or in Cary. The truth is our ears are trained to hear certain sounds and ignore others. We do it all the time. You ever slept through your alarm? You ever incorporate the sound of your alarm into your dream? Huh? It just a part of it, you keep sleeping? Not me. I just wondered if you had, and I saw all the heads, you know, nodding up and down. Well, Solomon is basically saying, Lord, here's my wish. Train my heart to hear the faintest whisper Of wisdom. Tune it well. I want to hunt for hidden treasure that makes a man or woman truly rich. The curtain is about to rise on one of the most remarkable kings of the Old Testament. A young man who would rightly earn the nickname, The Wisest Man Who Ever Lived. Solomon will collect about 3,000 proverbs. We don't have anywhere near all of them. And he'll write about 5,000 songs, and we don't have most of those preserved. When he eventually abandons his search for wisdom and the proverbs he collected, he will be at his worst. While he is collecting them and hunting for them and searching for them, He will be at his best. Let me emphasize at the outset of our search through Proverbs these two principles. Number one, wisdom is not for those who want it. It is for those who can't live without it. I think most would say they want wisdom, but do they really want it? Badly enough that they can't live without it. Simply put, wisdom requires that you begin the hunt. Uh, maybe, maybe during the study, you'll do what a mentor of mine told me when I was in college. He pointed out that there are 31 chapters in the book, and just read a chapter a day, and you can read through the book most months. I took his advice begin the hunt with all diligence. Not because you want it, but because you've recognized by the Spirit of God, you don't want to live without it. And so it's as if you are racing out the back door with a tape measure in your hand and the plat of of your land, and you're going to find the safe. I must have wisdom. Wisdom, secondly, is not for those who are just willing to hear about it, but for those who are willing to practice it. The writer of Hebrews said this of the Christians, that they, by means of practice, have learned to discern, it's a good wisdom word, discern between good and evil. They learn to discern by means of of practice. It isn't enough to hear it. As we learn things in this book, we will be required to put them into practice, or we will never learn them truly. In the Bible, the opposite of ignorance is not knowledge, it's disobedience. It was late one evening and the entire royal household was asleep deep inside Buckingham Palace. The year was 1837. Great Britain's Lord Chamberlain, which was an officer who was considered the senior official of the royal household, made his way to the bedroom of of an 18 year old girl named Victoria, woke her up, told her that her uncle had just died, and she would now be the Queen of England. He then opened the Bible he was carrying. And he read the passage to her that we just looked at in Second Chronicles chapter 1. And she sat quietly while he read of Solomon's coronation and his wish. It was the greatest thing anyone could ever wish for. She was quiet. He finished reading it. And he said to her now, Victoria, you will soon be queen. And she said those famous words now, If I am to be queen, I shall be good. It's no surprise that this longest reigning monarch of this empire had its greatest days under this queen, whose throne would be governed by the Scriptures, herself a committed believer to, Uh, To Christ and committed to spreading the gospel of Christ. She selected the words that would be over her mausoleum that declare, I shall rise with Christ at the resurrection. Israel, ladies and gentlemen, would see its finest days for it had a king who made a wish who began a quest for hidden treasure. My friend, the the encouraging thing is that when we desire it too, if we're willing to pursue it, practice it, and when we cannot live without it, we will discover it. Let me close with these words from Solomon who wrote, If you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, here's the promise. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord will give you wisdom. So Solomon invites us to join him in this this treasure hunt, this quest that shows us how to live life at the highest level and for the greatest good and ultimately unto the glory of God. Father, thank you for this text and the opening scenes of a man who will be quite a hunter for wisdom, who calls us to join him. Thank you for these who've gathered here who desire the same. Thank you for the promise that wisdom is available to those who must have it. We ask for wisdom today, Father. We need it desperately. And for tomorrow, how are we to live? What are we to do? We ask you for wisdom, for insight, for discernment. and Help us to begin with gratitude. We thank you for what we already have, and who you are, and what you will do with us. In Jesus' name.